in our latest installment of Baseball Team Autopsies, we're going to cover the history of the Homestead Grays, one of the most successful and important baseball teams in the Negro Leagues. Learn about their rise to prominence, their star players, and their impact on the business of baseball and the integration of the game. Today, on Rounders, a history of baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. I am, as always, your host, Jeff Lambert. It's a pleasure to be back with you again this week. We are continuing to discuss topics related to Black History Month. Last episode, we talked about Josh Gibson and the legacy that he left on the game, and we're going to follow up by talking about one of the teams that Josh actually played for, and that is the Homestead Grays. We have started a series, and we are in our fourth installment, actually, of something I've been calling baseball team autopsies, and that's where we look at uh, clubs that are no longer with us who played on the professional level. So we've talked about teams like the Seattle Pilots, the Houston Colt 45s, and others, and today we're going to look at the Homestead Grays. So if you're interested in seeing some of these other episodes that we've compiled about former professional teams, certainly I'll include a link to to those in the description in the show notes so you can check those out but for today let's go ahead and jump into it talking about a very important uh trailblazer for baseball clubs uh that certainly set the tone both then and left a legacy that we should appreciate now and that's the homestead grays so let's go ahead and jump into it <laughs> Let's go ahead and start off by talking about the origins of the Homestead Grays. Now, this team was founded in, you guessed it, Homestead, Pennsylvania in 1912. And the Grays played a part in several different Negro leagues because of the segregation of the sport on the professional level during this time. And this was important because these leagues provided opportunities for African-American baseball players who were excluded from the major leagues because of discrimination and, of course, these segregation policies. Now, the Grays were originally known as the Homestead Grays Athletic Association, and they were based out of Homestead, which was actually a steel town near Pittsburgh, so it wasn't too far away from a larger metropolitan area. Now, they began as a semi-professional team playing against other local clubs and business-sponsored teams, but they soon rose to prominence as one of the top overall teams in the region. And the team was owned and managed by an individual named Cumberland Posey. Posey was actually a former player himself. He was a successful businessman. I don't know why I had trouble saying that word. He was a successful businessman and he was an entrepreneur. And he was really instrumental in the development of the Negro Leagues overall. And he was a key figure in the integration of baseball. And yes, he was the owner and operator of the Homestead Grays. So there were several, as mentioned before, uh, leagues that the Grays played in over the years. They played in the Independent Negro League, they played in the Eastern Colored League, and they played in the Negro National League. Now, across all of these different leagues that they played in, they won nine league championships, and that included three Negro League World Series titles. And they also produced a number of Hall of Fame players, including, as we talked about last episode, Josh Gibson. We also had Buck Leonard. 
Cool Papa Bell, and even Roy Campanella all spent time playing for the Homestead Grays. So their legacy is long in terms of not only the team's success, but the players that played for them. We're going to talk about both those in just a little bit more in depth. Let's transition to talking about where did the Homestead Grays play their home games? Where was their stadium located? Well, throughout their history, the Grays played their home games at a number of different stadiums. So in the team's early years, they played at fields around the Pittsburgh area, but that did include Forbes Field, which was home to the Pittsburgh Pirates during this time. Now, in the late 1930s, the Grays had enough... uh, popularity and cash coming in where they decided to instead of jumping around to different venues play their home games at Forbes Field which again is the home of the Pittsburgh Pirates during this time so they had enough clout to be able to host their games in the same place as a team from another professional league and this is really where they experienced the uh, height of their success Uh, This included their memorable 1937 championship season so this was the location where they saw the most success Uh, In the late 1940s, they made a decision as the club was still getting more popular. They decided to switch over to playing to Griffith Stadium in Washington, D.C. And this venue was one of the most famous ballparks in the country at the time. It really helped the Graves be able to move to a place where they could really establish themselves as a truly national team. Now, just a little bit about Griffith Stadium. They had a seating capacity of approximately 32,000 people, which was very large for the time. It also had this very distinctive architecture, and it was located in the heart of Washington, D.C., a perfect place for a team that had built this level of popularity. Now, Griffith Stadium was built in 1911. It served as the home of the Washington Senators, who we also did an autopsy on for several decades. And it was also the site of several notable events in baseball history. This is where Babe Ruth hit his 500th home run. This is where they hosted the 1937 All-Star Game. So this became one of the landing spots, permanent landing spots, for the Homestead Grays. And it really was a crucial part of their success. They played their home games there for several years, and their presence in one of the most hallowed ballparks in the nation really helped to establish them as a key venue for African-American baseball in the mid-20th century. So that's an overview of where the Grays played their home games. Let's go ahead and jump into looking at their logos and uniforms. The Homestead Grays actually went through several different logos and uniform designs throughout their history. When the team was first established, they wore simple gray uniforms with a black H on the chest. But over time, the team adopted a number of different logos and designs, each with the intention of conveying the team's strength and resilience. And this goes back to the owner, Cumberland Posey, who natural entrepreneur, entrepreneur and businessman looking for different ways to make the team stand out and really have a brand around the club as they traveled and grew in prominence. Now, one of the most iconic logos that the Grays used featured the silhouette of a batter that was poised to swing his bat. And that silhouette was set against a shield shape with the word Grays in bold lettering above it. This logo was typically featured on the team's caps, it was sometimes on their helmets, and it was also sometimes on their jerseys. Now, in terms of the uniforms, the Grays were known for using striking color combinations and really unique designs, especially for the time. They would wear gray uniforms, but they would make sure to accent these uniforms with black or white, or they would wear white uniforms with black and gray accents. So they're using color combinations that were really not as prominent as you think we would see today. Um, 
there were a lot of monotone, a lot of unicolor designs for professional clubs in the early and mid-1900s. So uh, we see this shift more in modern times, but the Grays were certainly at the forefront of using a uniform to convey a brand presence. One particularly notable uniform design featured pinstripes in the shades of gray and black, and it had the team's name and logo displayed prominently on the chest. I also want to point out, folks, if you're not a member of our free email newsletter, please take a moment to sign up. It's in the description. I include pictures uh, and videos when I can find them of the topics that we discuss. So if you're looking for some visual accompaniment to what we're talking about, signing up for the newsletter is a great way to do that. Now, as mentioned, the Grays were not shy about experimenting with different uniform styles and logos over the years. They also were ahead of the ball game in terms of changing the type of jerseys that they would wear. So sometimes they would wear button-up jerseys with long sleeves. Other times they would opt for a more modern short sleeve design. Again, ahead of the time for using different styles of uniforms, not just in terms of color and design. And really overall, I think the thing that stands out the most about the Grays is their uniforms were really always sleek and stylish, and they had an emphasis on simplicity and really using bold, eye-catching designs. So overall, really the messaging behind it was to catch people's attention, to convey this branding element of strength and resilience, and that really helped them be able to convey to the baseball world they were a formidable and respected opponent from how they looked to how they played on the field. Let's talk about some of the most famous players to don the Homestead Grays uniform. Over the years, the team really did attract a lot of top talent from across the country, and their roster included some of the most iconic and accomplished athletes in the game during that time and in throughout history. So perhaps the most famous player to wear the Grays uniform was someone we discussed in the last episode, and that was Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson, as we mentioned, primarily played catcher. He was one of the most feared hitters in baseball history. He was often referred to at the time as the Black Babe Ruth. You see a movement now, uh, you know, in terms of uh, giving him his own um, prominence and not tying him to another player, that he certainly was good enough to stand on his own in terms of his accomplishments. And he played with the Grays for several years. Uh, During his time with the club, he was a six-time Negro National League home run champion. He was a two-time batting champion. And he really made a name for himself while with the club as being this guy with incredible power and athleticism. And it made him a fan favorite. And his presence on the team was a key part of the Grays' success in getting fans to show up to these games. Another legendary player who did spend time with the Grays as well was Buck Leonard. Leonard was a first baseman. He played for the Grays during the 1930s and the 1940s. And he was a seven-time Negro National League batting champion and he helped lead the club to multiple championships. Uh, Leonard was known for having a really smooth swing, and he had this ability to hit for both power and average, and he was really a key player in the Grays lineup for several years. Other notable players who spent time with the Grays included Cool Papa Bell, who we had mentioned in the last episode. He was this really fast outfielder who was really widely regarded as one of the fastest players in baseball history. Judd Wilson who was a third baseman for the club. He was a seven-time Negro National League batting champion. He was a two-time MVP. And then we also had Ray Brown, who was a pitcher for the Grays, and he was a really key part of a dominant pitching staff that the club sported throughout the 1930s and 1940s. 
The Grays roster also included a number of players who went on to have successful major league careers later on. One of those is Roy Campanella, who was a catcher who played for the Grays in the late 1930s, and then he went on to become a star for the Brooklyn Dodgers. We also had Hank Thompson, who was an infielder who played for the Grays in the 1950s, early 1950s, before he made his major league debut with the St. Louis Browns and became a staple for them as well. And really, overall, folks, the Homestead Grays, their roster was a who's who of baseball greatness, not only in the Negro Leagues, but overall in terms of featuring players who really excelled at the sport. And that made them a landing spot for top talent across the country who wanted to play professional baseball. And due to segregation rules, they were the team where if you were an African-American player, that's where you wanted to play. And so not only did the Grays kind of centralize a lot of the top talent, but it helped establish the Negro Leagues as a really viable alternative to the major leagues. If you wanted to see good baseball with excellent players, there were options outside of the American League, the National League, the Pacific Coast League. There were options that you could check out, and the Negro Leagues and certainly the Homestead Grays were one that you would want to circle to be able to go see. Now, and, and just as an aside, during World War II, a lot of the Grays' top players were drafted into the military, but the team actually still continued to play, and they were one of the top teams in the Negro Leagues even during World War II. So the club really had a nose for talent. They knew how to find good players, and that's shown throughout the club's history. Let's discuss some of the Homestead Grays' best seasons while they were in operation. They were one of the most successful and dominant teams in the history of the Negro Leagues, without a doubt. They won multiple league championships, and they had several seasons in which they just dominated all of their competition in the league they were in. Uh, some of the best seasons in the Homestead Grays' history included in 1937, the team won the Negro National League Championship and the Negro League World Series. In 1940, they repeated as league champions and won another World Series title. And then in 1943, they won their third straight league championship in a row. And in 1944, they won their fourth straight title. So this team was really good at stringing these successes together. And it's not hard to see why. During this stretch where they won these consecutive titles, their roster had guys like Josh Gibson, Buck Leonard, and Ray Brown playing together. So this was a who's who of top talent on the Grays during this stretch. And overall, the Homestead Grays had a lot of successful seasons during their active tenure. Uh, their dominance was unrivaled, and they really became the iconic team in the Negro Leagues because of that sustained success. And really, a large part of the success that the team enjoyed, I want to make sure I emphasize this, the on-field talent was amazing, but the management of the club cannot be understated, and that was in large part to the leadership of Cumberland Posey. He really was a shrewd businessman. He knew how to manage a club. He was instrumental in helping the Negro Leagues develop into a top league to go out and see, and he really worked tirelessly to promote the game. And he provided opportunities for African-American players where there may not have been as easily accessible opportunities. Would he not have uh, been in a position to do this? So uh, the club's success, while certainly is a product of their on-field talent, the behind-the-scenes work, the marketing, the deals, the positioning, Cumberland Posey was absolutely instrumental in being able to make this club the success that it was. So now that we've talked about the high points for the Homestead Grays, let's talk about what happened to the club. What led to their decline? How come they're not around today? 
Well, it was really a byproduct of progress uh, of what happened to the Homestead Grays. We see the overall the decline of the Negro Leagues happen when the integration of Major League Baseball happened in the 1940s and 50s. And that's really the main thing that caused the Grays to disappear. With the signing of Jackie Robinson by the Dodgers in 1947, that opened to, uh, that door to a lot of the best players in the Negro Leagues. They got the opportunity to go play in the American or National League, and that led to a talent drain in the Negro Leagues, and that included, unfortunately, the Homestead Grays. Now, it wasn't just the fact that the top names in the league were going to play for other leagues. It was also that we had an advent in technology. We saw television take off in the post-World War II era, and this changed the sports landscape 100%. It made it really difficult for the Negro Leagues to compete financially. Not only are they losing their top players, a major source of revenue that the American League and the National League are now benefiting from, these TV deals, these broadcast deals, were not available to the Negro Leagues, unfortunately. We still had a lot of racism of segregation issues in terms of broadcasting clubs that were not, uh, you know, of a certain uh, ethnicity. And so those um, revenue avenues were shut off to the Homestead Grays and other teams within these leagues. And on top of that, we we see the decline of players leaving. We see these TV deals not being open or available to teams like the Grays. And then on top of that, in 1946, Cumberland Posey, who had been so instrumental in not only promoting the Grays, but in promoting the Negro Leagues as a whole, ended up dying unexpectedly. And that, out of those three, uh, really led to the fact that it wasn't going to be viable for much longer. So the Homestead Grays continued in operation for about another decade, but they played their final game in 1951, and they were dissolved officially in 1952 with no clear succession after Posey died to effectively manage the club. Now, in 1972, rightfully, the team was honored with a plaque at the site of their former ballpark in Homestead, and in 1981, they were inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So we see a recognition as time goes on of just how important this club was to the legacy of baseball and baseball history overall. So let's close by talking about the legacy of the Homestead Grays. The Grays really were a trailblazing team. They helped to pave the way for the integration of baseball. They were one of the most dominant teams in the history of the sport. They had a roster that included some of the greatest players of all time. And despite the challenges that they faced as a segregated team, they promoted this, this overall idea of resilience, determination, making sure that we are going to play this game and we are going to show that we are amazing at it, even though these other options are closed off. And that, that legacy should continue to inspire baseball fans and players that there should be opportunities for all. And there should be an opportunity to be able to keep pushing the envelope in order to be able to do, if you really love baseball, to be able to play that sport or whatever, insert whatever your interest or um, drive is for. But we also see, of course, that the Gray's success had a really significant impact on the African-American community, particularly in the Pittsburgh area. As the team gained more and more success on the field, they became a source of pride and inspiration for African-Americans who were struggling 
nationwide and worldwide against discrimination and, of course, um, racism in all areas of society. So we see that they stood as a, an inspiration to African Americans. We see that they showed that baseball was a sport that anybody should be able to play and be able to be really good at to master. And we also see that the Grays really did have a significant impact on the business of baseball. They showed that, look, even if you're not getting the top treatment from the media, you can still build a brand that if it's solid, if it has good players, if it uses the right kind of marketing and branding, thanks to Cumberland Posey, it can have a significant impact. You can draw large crowds to your games and you can experience the success that the Grays and the Negro Leagues were able to build really with uh, a lot of factors pushing against them and establish a viable business in that wake. So even though the Homestead Grays may no longer exist as a team, their legacy is an important part of the history of baseball and their story really continues to inspire and motivate those who really love the game. And as we look back on the history of the Grays and the Negro Leagues, we really need to take time to remind ourselves that it took incredible resilience and determination of the players, the owners, and the fans who helped build a vibrant and really successful baseball community in the face of discrimination and segregation. So here's to you, Homestead Grays. Folks, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Rounders. Real quick as a plug, make sure you sign up for the weekly email newsletter. It's free. You get a bonus episode every week where we cover the top historical events that happened over the past seven days. And then, of course, if you have the time, it also helps if you wouldn't mind leaving a review on the podcast uh, platform that you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or Stitcher, whatever it is, if you could take a moment to rate the show, it helps us be able to get in front of other baseball fans. But most of all, thank you for taking time to listen to the show. It means so much to me. Don't forget, I love getting your feedback. Shoot me an email, leave me a comment. Again, sign up for the newsletter. Thank you so much for your support. And let's end on the note we always do end on. There are only two seasons, winter and baseball. See you next week. Rounders, A History of Baseball in America is produced by Jeffrey Lambert Our research assistant is Cass Silber A special thanks to our starting nine supporters Nathan Halverson and Jack Wilson